what I've found with angel investors and, and some of them is that they're more hands-on and they're like they have networks, they have a lot of expertise and the angel, yeah, yep. the angel. Whereas the at least so far with with VC uh, has been more like hands-off. Okay, they'll point you you know to someone the right person or in their in their network. Yeah. Welcome or welcome back to the Student Founder Podcast, the platform created for student entrepreneurs to come on and talk about their experiences in the startup world. This is a podcast and, I guess, community that we're building around student entrepreneurship. We like to bring on experts in business, venture capitalists to try and look at the mindset of what it's like working with startups in general, and of course, put the student founders and entrepreneurs from universities into the spotlight so they can talk about their experiences in the startup world. I'm your host, Oliver Kukanik, PhD student by day, student founder by night. And this episode is brought to you by a company that I and a group of friends out of the University of Melbourne have actually come to create. It's called Rofi Labs. It's a software development company that helped bring startups to life. If this is something you'd be interested in learning more about, visit our website at rofilabs.com.au or hit me up directly on LinkedIn at Oliver Kukanik. Today's episode is a very interesting one. We have the co-founder of a company called Vetetic, an early stage startup which is empowering the prosthetics community through the use of virtual reality. This is achieved by elegantly combining state-of-the-art wearable sensors, VR, and gamified interventions to provide people living with limb loss a fun and interactive rehabilitation method. He has gone through various accelerator programs, published dozens of peer-reviewed articles focused on improving the use of prosthetics, and won awards including first prize for his translational research project at the Australian MedTech 2022 Early Stage Investment Forum. Introducing to you, Ricardo Garcia Rosas. Thank you, it's good to, to be here. No worries. You. Thank you so much for coming on to this episode of the podcast. No um, in the beginning phases, when we started the podcast, we kind of lacked the structure that we needed really to mm. you know, get the most out of the people that we had on. So I like to follow somewhat of a structure in terms of sections, right? Yeah. The first section is often about being a student founder or a founder mm. of a company in general, right? So I guess first and foremost, for the audiences watching who don't know who you are, let's talk a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Where did you come from? And why are you here? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so what do I do? So now I'm full-time uh, co-founder, CEO of Vertetic. Um, been doing that like full time for a bit over a year, uh, part time, uh, year and a half, uh, two years, something like that. Mm. <laughs> um, I come originally from Mexico. Um, moved here in 2014 to do masters and PhD. Mm. Um, so what did yeah. you what did you study when you were in undergrad? Um, so I did my undergrad in Mexico in mechatronics engineering. Mm -hmm. I always sort of like liked the idea of robotics and automation and everything. And yeah, spent three years or so working in industrial automation, particularly in, in um, automotive industry. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's where I decided to do a bit of a career shift. Sure. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So from your undergraduate degree, you had an interest in mechatronics. You kind of liked the idea of robotics. Mm. Eventually, you went on to study a PhD, correct? Yeah. And what was your PhD project focused on? Uh, it, so my PhD was in prosthetics, mm -hmm. um, particularly looking at algorithms that allow the prosthetic to adjust itself on the way of the way it behaves mm. based on how the person themselves move 
um, and being able to do that while the person is learning. So sort of like shortening the span that you need to to find the right setting for for the prosthetic for a particular person. Absolutely. Okay. So it seems then that there's quite a lot of correlation between the I guess idea of your your PhD and then the actual startup that you've created yeah. and now you're working on, right? So yeah. po- proper vertical integration as a true businessman, um, <laughs> utilizing your skills in various areas. So tell us a little bit about Vitetic. How did you come up with the idea? Was it during your PhD? Yeah, so um, it really started as a side thing during my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started designing it, designing this VR platform that we're using, I saw it from the point of view of, of research. Um, so my research itself is not in VR, but you know, prosthetics mm. and, and human learning. Um, and VR allowed me to test things out quicker and with more people, because you can virtually amputate anyone. True. <laughs> um, so it set up like a really interesting sort of way to, to accelerate our research. But where it really took like that sort of like shift from seeing it like, oh, this is a, a research platform that we can make more like available to other people to actually looking at a clinical setting uh, is when started talking to our clinical advisors and they tried it out and then for them it was clear that there was that um, sort of potential application in the in the clinic and sure. that's where we sort of started looking into that. Of course, so yeah, there's there's often a lot of companies do that they go and get the advice from the experts and integrate their knowledge mm. in with you know what their tr- traditional skills are. So. Mm. I have a question because your company is using you know, virtual reality to try and improve rehabilitation and prosthetic use. Mm. You coming from a mechatronic engineering background was, I'm assuming, a, a period of uh, software engineering involved in yep. in that degree, right? Yeah. Did that help you out with you know wanting to go on, go into the the darkness and try and try you know i guess integrate uh, some type of vr um system for prosthetic yeah. users yeah so like i always sort of lean a bit more towards the software side mm-hmm. um so a lot of the stuff that i did um in uni like then when i did my master's i focus a bit more on the on that on that side so um like i never thought i would end up doing like i, I like games and i um, done games for sort of um, um, like a hobby uh, on so like game design yeah yeah like game development so like sure. the, when I started learning to program it was through like the RPG maker yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. something like that um, and then I, I never thought I would end up like doing something like this until like in my uh, PhD that I started developing this then then I thought like okay what do I need to use to um um build this platform and, and do this like research in in vr um but i've all i've also always liked sort of the design part of things like mm. like the engineering that design and in software development like sort of got into like understanding how you would design software and and as i was as i was designing this vr platform even though i could have done it just for my research and not care about it yeah um i wanted to use it also as an exercise for me to learn more about software development and and game development sure yeah no that sounds fantastic so i want to ask something as well because you came from i guess a more traditional research background Mm. and then took a step into you know the startup world as as we call it so you know there there are similarities in terms of research development in any business Mm. but what was that transition like when you went from you know arduous hours in the lab 
or you know the engineering office uh, working on your research project to now you know kind of being more self-driven self-motivated in, in curating your own startup and business in a similar field but mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, I don't see I don't see it that differently. Um, my my PhD was very exploratory, so there wasn't like a lot of precedence like in the lab for what what I was working on, um, particularly in infrastructure. So that some of the algorithms they were um, before, um, but um, there was a lot of like figuring things out by myself and experimenting mm-hmm. and testing things out as we were setting up the project and then developing the research. Um, so I think like the the only thing that has changed is that um, the things that I'm learning are like more wide. Yeah, more broad. Uh, yeah, yeah, like there's just so many things that I never thought I would need to learn, and now I'm like learning about finance and. So you're not just yeah. strictly talking yeah. about the engineering side; yeah. now. you're talking about more the business and yeah, yeah exactly. the accounting side of things as yeah. well. Yeah, um, and and just like leading in general like a, a team and like being responsible for some people yeah it's tough uh, it's a it's a it's a very interesting challenge and especially when you start thinking like about like money like in the phd you don't worry about it because <laughs> you're, that's the your supervisor's yeah. problem like getting the money uh but now it's my problem and yeah. that's when it gets uh, a bit like you you gotta yeah you yeah. gotta write down the finances make sure you tick all the boxes yeah. so you don't run out yeah. um yeah it's that's definitely um good insight so what actually inf- was there like a moment during the PhD that you had maybe like a light bulb moment as we'd call it mm. where you were you you know you you converted and were like okay now nah, I want to commercialize I want to start something that you know we can actually introduce to the community um I wouldn't say that it's a it's a light bulb moment but a process um so we um we st- started doing the sort of like research commercialization program mm-hmm. uh, from Melbourne Uni, TRAM. Yep. Um, and they, they sort of like structured it in a way like really, really good in a way that you start focusing on the problem. Mm-hmm. So like even though if you have all this research and everything and you've yeah. done so many like cool things. Without having like, a clear problem. Yeah, 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 like go back to zero. And then if you're thinking that you have a, like that you can solve a problem, mm-hmm. go and ask people if they actually have the problem. Yeah. Um, we since we had that like insight from our clinical advisors before we sure. knew that they had they experienced that problem mm. uh, but we wanted to see how like spread it was and who was feeling that problem and so how did you test that just talking to people like figuring Interviews. out who are the all the stakeholders in the like in prosthetic management mm-hmm. and and dealing with with care with people who pays it and everything um so just talking to as many people about it um and and learning about their problems not asking them like do you have this problem mm. you know being open to to listen to their experience and their insight and, yeah, yeah. yeah and and sort of finding that pattern that everyone sort of had that issue with um in in the upper limb part that people spend a lot of time without um using the affected limb mm. because they're waiting for a prosthesis uh, or they cannot wear one because of like they need to heal and everything like the the stump so um, yeah, so going through that process and like realizing like, oh, it's actually a large amount of time that causes a big pain for the industry. Mm. Um, yeah, not just, not just the person with the prosthetic, but yeah. the actual industry. The yeah, no, and, and there's people with, like, yeah. I mean, the, the prosthetic companies, um, the, there's like statistics that about like 40% of people end up not using a, 
uh, an upper limb prosthetic because it just becomes too frustrating to mm. use or too difficult or you know the expectation yeah, is yeah. wrong in what a prosthetic can actually do mm. so um, they have a financial incentive in sort of like well how can we help people get you know trained to use a prosthesis and so mm. and so on and they've done things with like like screen base and everything and that's where like talking to, to um, uh, people who have lost a limb like it's really um, gives you that insight in like why do they not like that mm. um, and there, there's a lot of, that has to do with like relevance to their daily life and uh, there are very specific things that you can only get like wearing a prosthesis and where VR can simulate it to an extent that is actually highly relevant as opposed to seeing like something on a screen which won't really help them much. sure yeah it's a bit more yeah. practical and hands-on yeah. Yeah. yeah um no that's really good so i uh, you know i guess this this whole business and such and the, the use of vr kind of throws me back to the first time i ever used mm. virtual reality because i was overseas in a arcade and mm. i had the vr headsets i put it on and i was i was thrown away with how immersive yeah. like the actual technology was so that caught me like thinking surely this technology is going to advance to such an extent because this was five years ago when I mm. first played it and thought to myself when I saw your company, there has to be heaps of competitors doing something like mm. this, right? So how did you, I guess, view your competitors and, you know, did that almost like this, did at any point were you inundated or overwhelmed by the amount of competition that there was yeah. in the field? We are the only ones doing VR in the prosthetic industry, okay. like that specific application, yeah, yeah. doing it, in like taking it commercially mm -hmm. there's been there's other people who are doing it from research perspective yeah. and like we were doing it um so it's a it's a it's an interesting one because you have to look at it like well these people could like take it and, and try to commercialize it at any mm -hmm. point and you have to evaluate yourself with that piece of mind like not you're not saying like well we're the only ones who are commercializing it right now sure right so this is all these other people that may want to do it and have similar like research pedigree and everything mm, yeah um but there's you know and that that's where you have to sort of like think like okay so what is our value as opposed to what they've been doing so far mm. and and evaluate yourself and how you can um you know be better sure um there's also like things that you can do with like all that we do is with relationships with like working with prosthetic manufacturers because they, like, they have that financial incentive, mm -hmm. um, and they have that also that interest in innovation and so on. It's not their expertise, so bringing people in from from the outside to to build this type of uh, technologies, you know, you can leverage that from from the prosthetic manufacturers because mm. they're not doing it. Sure. Um, and then yeah, in terms of other companies doing VR for rehabilitation, so that's. Then, I mean, I get asked this, like, can you go outside the prosthetic industry? It's very small, very niche, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have to look at, like, well, what is our value proposition if you were to go to another um, um, type of rehabilitation, like, phys like general physiotherapy and so on? And that's where I, th I think, like, it's most crowded. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are sort of, like, finding their niche. Um, but, you know, uh, our strategy and ideology is that we design things for a very specific purpose and yeah so and it's it's niche and off market where yeah you, you see there's competitors but yeah i guess not in the direct field or direct use case yeah right? so they're, they're barriers for them to come to our um you know industry mm. are 
significant enough to to make it difficult. Yeah, sure. As it is for us to just like you cannot just a say, sector, yeah, yeah, we want to do stroke rehab now. Yeah, well, sure, sure. We don't know anything about stroke rehab. Yeah. We would need to start from scratch, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the actual product, right? I guess in <laughs> the most simple terms possible, if you could explain how your system actually works. Yeah. Um, it's always, it's not an easy yeah, question. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so you need you need a sensor on your arm mm-hmm. to control a prosthesis. So a piece of hardware. Yeah, it's a piece of hardware that you you would normally use to control a prosthesis. So we use that same sensor to play games in VR mm-hmm. that will help people learn to use a prosthesis once yep. you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That, that's good. Simple enough. <laughs> um, yeah. How can I make it as simple as possible? <laughs> simple enough in theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. So <laughs> I guess before we move on to the second section, I was reading a little bit about kind of your, you know, some of the stuff available on LinkedIn and such mm. things. And it said originally when you studied at university, you actually studied Japanese language and culture. <laughs> right Now, I'm sorry to bring it up because it yeah. might be irrelevant, but I'm taking yeah. a swing here in that, yeah. you know, the Japanese as a culture are quite technologically yeah. related and they have the, you know, I guess massive niche of anime yeah. and things and integrating technology into storytelling. Did that at all influence your decision to become like a mechanical engineer? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Like thinking back, because I did it on the side, like learning like Japanese and, and culture, like when I was like, I think I started in high school. Yeah. Um, and then did it throughout uni, and I, I think that you know the I like science fiction and mm-hmm. um, all the like anime and like fantasy and all these sort of things. Like I guess it to some extent like drove me in that direction, mm. and the idea of like seeing robots everywhere, yeah. and, like you know you, you so, sometimes sort of like fantasize certain things and and uh, like the idea of how the world could could be and. A lot of that inspiration came from like watching this. Yeah, of course, this, of course. Yeah. yeah, so I guess there was a bit of a correlation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that, we find inspiration everywhere. And I think yeah. that was like the sort of like influence that it had. Mm. Um, yeah, because yeah. I mean, your idea, even though it's let's say for people who are rehabilitating mm. for prosthetic limbs, you know, I wonder how far that technology can advance. You know, in mm. terms of maybe even helping people who maybe don't have limb loss and maybe just have some type of a limb know, difference yeah. yeah limb difference or some description you know yeah so yeah 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 um like we we work we actually work closely with um someone who has limb difference mm. like not had uh, limb loss and it's it there is that relevance right like and 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 i guess for for people with limb difference it's also more difficult to like use a prosthesis because they were born um, sure. with like a different, like a, a limb, a shorter limb, or something like that. So yeah. they've always had to do things with 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 uh, one hand and yeah. I know, guess they, they don't need the rehabilitation the per se. Yeah. So and then and then it also becomes like difficult because like the there's like the sensory aspect of the of the for as far as I understand. Um, if it's a shorter limb, you may still have a lot of like the sensory like like nerves that would go in the hand. So it's actually very tactile and very insensitive. Sure. And people can use it quite a lot um, 
to you know in different ways, but mm. it, it's it's still very useful. Whereas um, when you have an amputation, <clears throat> there may may be some damage, right? Um, um, so the the feelings may not be um, like positive as well. Like it, it's it's difficult to tell without sure. like the experience, but. Um, um, yeah, so it, it's a, it's sort of like a different experience and how you can help yeah, people sure, in sure. different ways. Yeah, well, hopefully it all goes well moving mm. forward and you know there might be some other user cases. Yep. So we'll move on to part two, section two, um, where we talk a little bit more about you know getting the actual business off the ground because a lot of people mm. watching, they may have some med tech idea or some startup idea they're trying to get off the ground, but they have no idea where to start. Right? Mm. And everybody has a unique story when it comes to getting their actual idea off the ground. So... You know, after you, I guess, establish the idea and the demand for this product during your research phase, um, what was the, I guess, proverbial first thing that you did when curating the, the idea into an actual business? What was the first thing that I did? Like, did you write up a business plan? Did you find a team? Did you, how did that all uh, I, I started with a team. Team? Yeah, I started with a team. Because... Yeah. Um, I first did like sort of the workshops to to learn a bit more about commercialization, and then as I was going like okay what because we followed that program right like we were doing that program and and looking at what I needed to do throughout the program I was like okay I'm gonna need help because I'm gonna to make the most of it um, I'm gonna be able to do everything by myself and there are some skills that I don't have that sure. other people have. So how did you go about finding the right team? <clears throat> um, I just looked in my in my network. So yeah. two of my co-founders are from the same research lab. Um, one is a mate that um, I used to run a uh, uni club with, mm -hmm. and then the other one is a mate of that mate. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. So well versed. Everybody knows each other. So yeah. Cool. I mean, in the first business. Mm. Um, it's easier if you already know, like have a working relationship or, or like know you can work with a number of people. Absolutely. Yeah. So my next question moves on to, you know, so you've got your, your business kind of coming together. You've got the right people in the team. You're all working on trying to, you know, mm. get it out there. Mm. Um, so you've got your R&D side of the business. Mm. You've got your financial side of the business and your management side. Now, funding is always a thing that a lot of people think about, right? Because... Mm especially for any type of med tech related idea, funding is a massive limitation because mm. they have to prove to some type of venture capitalist or some type of you know, uh, investor mm. that their product is worth pursuing mm. on a profitability scale. Right? Mm. Um, so how did, what was the first thought that went into your mind when you realized how much something like this would cost and how did you actually go about acquiring the funding? We were absolutely naive. Uh, as you can imagine, like mm. at the beginning, it's like, oh, we need this amount of money, and like someone was like, because we, as as we were pitching to get into the medtech actuator and and doing all that, mm. um, so we were talking to some angels and we were like, oh, we need that, that amount, and they're like, oh yeah, we are sure. Like it was a small amount, right? If you're thinking about software, it doesn't sound like that unreasonable, mm. but when when after doing the Metech Actuator and raising the amount of money that we did like for that program. Yeah. And we're still uh, like, I wish I, we had taken more money. Like, <laughs> So was it hard to actually if, raise the capital? Um, not that first round. Like we had it easy because we 
did it through the the, the, the program, yeah. right? So yeah. it's basically like if you get into the program, you pitch for the investment, but mm-hmm. you, you know, as long as you don't screw up completely, like, yeah. you're more likely than not to get. Well, it. you go through the preparation yeah. procedures, yeah. right, and then set up a nice pitch. So yeah. the only the only thing that I would like have pushed for, if I could go back in time, yeah, or if I were to do it again, I would have tried to get it both like the from the angel investment investor and. And the, the venture capital. The venture capital. So, what do you think the benefit is of going down either one or both at the same time? Um, so, what are the benefits of venture capitalists over? They they angel? they they help and invest differently. Mm-hmm. And um, I, what I've found with angel investors and, and some of them is that they're more hands-on and they're like they have networks, they have a lot of expertise and the angel. Yeah, yep. the angel. Whereas the at least so far with with VC uh, has been more like hands-off. Okay. Um, they they no if you ask for like hey i need help with something they'll point you you know to some the right person or in, their, but, in their network yeah. but with but but they're not gonna like uh, let me look at this in sure the sure so you may get an angel yeah. investor who's actually somewhat of a technician themselves not, not so much but at least that they they're willing to look into the detail and then um you know challenge certain things or mm. or, or, or you know um comes with a lot with experience and seeing a lot of startups where like people go wrong or yeah you know some things make sense may not make sense and uh, and i think that's something that we've been sort of missing like having someone that we've we sort of like tried to address it by like doing different programs like several Mm -hmm. programs and and having mentors and so on but having someone who is uh, vested in the company like and and financially motivated like, yeah it's different right because they're yeah it's hard to find a different right? view yeah. yeah i guess the motivation for someone like you to even start a business is you know you're young you're thirsty you're hungry for it right mm. someone who has a lot of capital mm. they may be investing in a company to you know flourish their capital or mm. you know make more money as such but they themselves don't have the same incentive or drive to yeah. really get their hands dirty and yeah. in, in the midst of all the the activity so in terms of you know the first time you pitched in front of a crowd mm. was that i mean besides the practice ones that you may have done through the you know accelerator program at the university was that in front of people who were potentially investing in your company yeah so i've uh the one because we have different like pitches and and the thing is like we never had to sort of pitch like just out of nowhere like okay mm. we gotta pitch to we, we, we it was always sort of like through the programs and, so structured yeah in a so, structured so, way a lot yeah. of feedback even if it was with investors it was with that like feedback mindset sure um and do you think that's just strictly because of the program that you were a part of yeah like i don't know if i if actually we did we did do so the way that we met this um angel investor that we spoke to like at the very beginning it was through a um, um, sort of like a meetup kind of thing that Startup Victoria organized, and somehow we got in. And but it was also like that sort of like here is you know a pitch deck and have a chat and get feedback. Hmm. I think that was like the first one that we did that we went with that mindset of like we're asking for money, and yeah. then and then we did the one to like the investment committee to get into the program and so on. Um, enough. I mean, it's it. I wouldn't say that they're, they're all very different. Sure, like sure. every pitching experience has been a bit 
different mm-hmm. in some way or another. Yeah. So, do you think that um, I guess when you were asking for money originally, you said, "I wish I asked for more." Mm. Right now, that comes with experience, of course. Mm. But what what do you think? Where do you think the not the mistake, but the naivety was <clears> in that <throat> estimation of how much capital you needed? Was it in the amount of money that is required for staff or? Yeah, the amount of money that is required for everything. Like, mm. I've never run a business. I've never, like, really known how much it costs to do anything. Mm. Like, you know, I take care of my personal finances. And, sure, and, yeah, and yeah. I can know, yeah. you know, how much it costs to buy stuff. But, yeah. but I mean, running a business is a big venture. It's so different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's impressive how quickly you can burn through money. <laughs> yeah. And, and being lean. Even being lean, you're like, Jesus, like, we're spending all this money. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess as long as you're slowly making progress and then... Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, of course, like, it was just that we had no idea and uh, no one had questioned it at that point, right? Mm. And it's and it's the same, like, we we iterate and now it's like, oh, we asked for this much and we think on it and it's like, and, and we're, we'll add a buffer and we'll, like, you know, make it as big as possible. And we still go out and pitch and they're like, yeah. ah, man, you're going to need more money. <laughs> yeah, so they know, right? Yeah, they know. I'm like, okay, so yeah. how big... Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, okay, then, so I guess we've talked about some finances. We've talked about establishing the right team or, you know, how to curate mm-hmm. somewhat of a team. I'm curious, in terms of other people that you bring in as advisors for the business, you mentioned that, you know, you yourself um, as a company don't, you're not developing the actual prosthetic or attachment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're actually working with a somewhat of a collaborator, right? Mm-hmm. So how did that relationship start? How did you reach out to them? so that you can use their skills to kind of leverage what your business is aiming at completing or accomplishing. Yeah, so Raphael, one of our co-founders, is, he worked for that prosthetic company. Um, so that's how we got in. I, it was the easiest way to get oh, an really? introduction yeah, yeah. to the market leader in prosthetics because mm. he worked there and he knows and a lot of people. And um, it was the way to get in and then... The next thing, because they were like, okay, we're interested, let's, you know, organize to, you know, send you some hardware so you can integrate it and then we can test out your software. Mm. Um, and then nailing that is basically what it's now helping us get into the big leagues with them because um, we got the intro, we got everything, like the help and everything. Mm. And and them seeing the product and being like, oh, we could pretty much put this in the market already. Yeah. Like with yeah. obviously some... Adjustments polishing and polishing adjustment yep, yep. and everything. Um, so that that was something that I mean, I, I guess we did really well. Like once mm. we once we had that introduction, that was, you know, lucky because or, or I mean like it was the right it's the right team right. Sure, it's not yeah, that yeah, it's lucky. Yeah. It was it's a perfect that, fit. Yeah, yeah, it's a perfect fit. Like yeah. he has been his work there. He has that experience. So you know, it's a perfect co-founder for mm. for this this time. Sure, sure. And in terms of I guess maintaining relationships with people that you're collaborating with Mm. have you had any i guess hiccups or things where you wish you had done better in the past Uh, yeah like don't use ospost to send something to europe because it's going to take like three times as long as you hope and yeah and then you need to pay import taxes and it's uh, yeah you know never done it before yeah do it and you gotta learn, right? you gotta learn. Um, so there's like yeah there's definitely things that like we could have done done better but um I think like, overall it's hmm. 
it's going in the right direction. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, Okay, so I want to ask a question about how you're actually, you know, well, not profiting, but how the business needs to have positive turnover in order to keep the business running, right? Mm. Um, In terms of who your target audience is or who's the actual person purchasing this Mm. service or this product? Mm. What our products would be or or services there would be covered by disability insurance yeah um, so yeah working through the healthcare system yeah yeah. so australia would be something like ndis or tac work cover and Um, what's that what's that process like because i feel like a lot of people particularly in medtech getting you know the government on board or public funding on board for healthcare how do you actually yeah Uh, well good question because it's very (laughs) i like to know like it's uh, (laughs) it's not uh, simple (laughs) yeah um ndis is very difficult like it's 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 um we we talked to a bunch of people and and there is no no sort of like specific pathway and i think Mm. it's part of in design it's supposed to be very flexible to to be like what is this you know everyone's different and they don't want to just prescribe um so it's fairly open mm. um, and and some of the key things is like well there's some limits into what what you can reimburse or what you can pay for uh, it needs to be um, prescribed or you know suggested by a, or by a clinician uh, or an expert so I mean we tick a lot of those boxes mm. now the next the next thing is like okay let's try it out yeah right? yeah because um, there's no way to say like okay you know here's a checklist to you know can this get reimbursed like we haven't found that sure um with like we we had like chats a while back with i think i think it was like uh work cover or tac and they, they basically say like we need clinical evidence to say like this is going to help people to pay it hmm. and now we're starting conversations again to figure out like what that process may be sure um but yeah i think um it's one of those that you just need to like keep sort of asking around until you find the right person or, or something and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. still something that we're in the process trying to of work doing. through it yeah because yeah. it's an iterative thing yeah all right so yeah i guess from this point i was kind of curious once you acquire funding like you said you kind of when you collaborated with the prosthetics company themselves mm. they said to you with a little bit of polishing this may be a product that we can actually launch mm. immediately right how did you go about or how are you thinking of marketing a product like this there's, I guess there's like two two key things, like two key people that need to know about it. So the um, clinicians, because they've been the one mm-hmm. prescribing it to people. Um, and then patients themselves, because, but it's not so much as in to sell it to them directly, mm-hmm. but as a, a awareness that this exists and that, um, you know, this it has benefits, right? It's not just, it's not a game. Mm. Um, uh, it's an actual medical, well, not device, but a, an intervention, yeah, digi- a digital health uh, yeah. in- intervention. Yeah. Um, so, how I wouldn't be able to like say like what is the best way to to go and and you know market it to clinicians? Sure. Like, they, I know that in the industry, so it's, it's just like big like key players, and then mm. there's trade or like conferences or trade shows and. Yeah. And you can go there and try and spread the word and and, and, yeah, yeah, talk about the new tech. Yeah, we've done that here, even though we're still not in the market, but Mm. sort of like to get the word out. And Mm. um, it's a very small community. So once you start like getting in there, like people know. Yeah, word of mouth as well is quite a strong aspect in a Um, business like this. Yeah. 
um, in in other like it also in other countries like one of the other things is that by partnering with a you know, big player in the industry you sort of like get that access to mm. like their distribution or their clinics or, yeah. or things like that so um, yeah at this stage we're looking at something that is more controlled and you know, make sure that business model is new like, not completely new but it's it's a bit different to what normally gets done in in the industry uh, it's a new technology there's uh, a lot of variables that you know, we first need to get things right before we go and like say like okay here like I mean we have a website but that's as much as we'll sure like, sure do. so what's the plans for Vitetic how how long until you actually get on the market and you're released well our, our goal is to be in the market in the first half of next year yep. so looking so at probably the second quarter yeah um, because here we have a low barrier of entry in terms of regulation mm. um, so we want to do like put it in the market as quickly as possible do pilots and, and start learning um, uh, from it as quickly as possible so then we can go to Europe which is the bigger market that sure. we're targeting which yeah. also has a higher barrier of entry um, from a regulatory and reimbursement perspective yeah. so um, yeah that's that's the goal like finish building the product that we're gonna like the, what requirements that we need to launch yeah. and get regu regulatory approval and then yeah go nuts <laughs> there you go that's that's a great story and I hope it all works out um, now final section it's mm. going to be relatively brief but I just want to get a bit more of perspective about you know your mentality moving into this whole startup game mm. um, you know running a startup for anyone is an arduous task you have a high chance of failure it's it's like you know looking after a child you have to always be there for her. You have to always make yeah. sure that you're feeding the baby and all that other stuff, right? And also taking rests. So how do you manage your time? Like what's your hour? What are your daily hours like? Things like that. Um, so I try to be fairly sort of like stay to my work hours and, mm -hmm. and only just work within that time. I tend to do 10 to 6 so I yep. can do a bunch of things in the morning for myself before mm -hmm. I get all the interruptions like in the in the evening yeah it also it, like the fact that we're working with company that it's in Europe uh, their the morning is our yeah. like no. if, like night like yeah, yeah. So, so basically the other way around yeah so <laughs> having having the flexibility like if I need to get in a call with them or something at, at night um, I, I can do it um, but yeah it's also sort of like putting myself first so then I can like my myself and you know my personal life first, mm. and then be able to do everything else with a without worrying about like oh shit I yeah yeah, yeah. You no know, didn't take my dog out for a walk yeah there you go so the the everyday yeah. activities right yeah exactly yeah you need the balance yeah. of course otherwise you're at risk of yeah. burnout Nobody yeah wants that, right? and and yeah when we rest we like like completely like forget about things yeah just yeah. but but it also it's it's difficult because. I guess like most founders were like very passionate right like mm. everyone's like loves what they're doing so it's not so much that um, you know you you burn out because you're working so much but it's the burnout I guess from the stress levels of what you're doing because mm. um, I could be like working on my on my business and um, you know developing the software and the games and everything yeah, yeah. and I could do that all the time without like yeah it's fun for you it's caring like caring yeah. about it but yeah. when when you are like oh shit i need to 
raise money and we're gonna run out of money <laughs> the or things you don't want to you know like yeah. this like some things went wrong and this and that like i guess that that's like where it becomes unhealthy yeah. because uh yeah i know, guess con constantly yeah. having to address the elephant in the room because right? mm. it's you know that there are things in the business that have to be attended to yeah but they may not be your favorite and they're often not your favorite things to attend oh to. yeah i mean you have to do it and and like it's, it's still like it's not a problem when you know the stakes are not so high right like if you know like ah yeah i mean i'm just taking care of myself doing you know working on my business on mm. my own like it's fine right like i have savings i can work on, yeah, on yeah. it for a bit longer but when you have to pay salary for someone you cannot just do that right mm. and that's where it's sort of like the stakes change and and i think that was like the big change for me from sort of like research to like startup it's like it's a lot more responsibility difference. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like the responsibility and and you're caring for <laughs> other people as well yeah like of yourself course. right of course so, yeah. yeah interesting so i guess we're almost at the end so that's sorry okay. that i'm yeah, no, drying no, out your okay. mouth by talking but that's um, all right uh i was gonna ask kind of like moving into you know the startup world and and mm. creating this you know wonderful product that's going to have so much utility for the community particularly people who are in you know that phase of their life um what are some of the more you know bright things in your life that running a startup have allowed you to do like what what are some of the i guess we've kind of spoken a little bit about the challenges mm. but what are some of the advantages that you've had in your own life of running a startup what are the advantages mm. of running or, or, or in your own life so like for in my example more flexibility ah. or this or that, right um yeah I, I mean flexibility is a good one but just working on something that um like i'm quite passionate about that you know i can like every day is like exciting mm. uh, in a way so it, it also helps you with like at least like in my personal life it's just like it's not frustrating it's not a like something difficult yeah it's something that you know i can do like my everyday life and and still look forward to doing all these sort of things rather than i have to do all these things to enjoy my everyday life mm. but i don't enjoy my everyday life because i'm frustrated about sure it. so yeah, no, that's so that's yeah. the thing i think it's just like the you know the fact that i'm working on something that i like i'm very passionate about that i put so much time into it and i'm seeing the benefits of it like help helping people um, absolutely so I think, you know, it just brings joy into the rest of my life. That's good. Great. Um, all right. So before I wrap up this podcast, I like to do something with all the interviewees that I bring on. And that's just by asking them, what's one piece of advice that you'd like to kind of leave in the archive of this podcast, The Shooting Founder, mm. for, the, for the audiences watching? So thinking so about one piece like of advice students, for students, students that startups. may be thinking about like doing a startup, yeah. what piece of advice? Um, this may, may sound like a very uh, common piece of advice, but like, go for it. Like, try it out. Um, like, talk to people and, and don't be afraid to put the, your uh, ugly duck yeah. <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, people fall into the, the trap of thinking that it has, to be perfect. it has to be perfect the first time yeah. someone sees it, which is just absolutely not the case because yeah. if it was a perfect duck, yeah. as you presented it it's yeah. going to change into a yeah. frog you know they're yeah. going to change it so much yeah. over time and it's going yeah. to become something slightly different to what you yeah. originally intended yeah so. and and i think that's something that that we've done well we always like from the very beginning it's like okay we have something that works let's test it out with people and, and that has been very helpful because they tell you what they want and, mm. and how they want it and everything and 
I mean, it's that whole like user experience research mentality. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just you know, give just it get to out someone, there, give it a go. They'll rip it to pieces, but that's the best <laughs> thing that can happen to you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a great piece of advice. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for coming. We'll wrap up the episode now. And yeah, that, I guess that, that was that episode of the Shoot and Founder podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe, share it around, follow us on all social media accounts. Links will be in the description. Thanks again to Ricardo for coming on. It was a brilliant podcast. Hopefully the audience learned a lot. I sure did about your experiences. Um, we'll put all these, I guess, contact details in the description as well. So you can follow him and his company, Vitetic. I just want to reiterate to everyone that this episode wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been able to do this episode without the help of the company that I started, which is Rofi Labs, a software development company that can help you get your MVP and startup in terms of software off the ground today. So if this is something you want to learn more about and how we can help you out in that process, feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description or visit our website at rofilabs.com.au. Until next time, thank you so much for viewing this episode of the Student Founder Podcast and we'll see you in the next episode.